Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 12. And then on page 50 in the back of the blue, let's uh, read the responses together. The Lord's Day 36. Colossians 3, God's word given to us for our good, as his people let us receive then this word that he gives to us. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. In God's holy law, he says that you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Lord's Day 36, question 99. Let's read this answer together. What is God's will for us in the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In a word, it requires that we use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe, so that we may properly confess him, pray to him, and praise him in everything we do and say. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent it and to forbid it? Yes, indeed. No sin is greater No sin makes God more angry than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded the death penalty for it. So we consider this commandment tonight, the third commandment, to not misuse the name of the Lord our God, but to honor him rightly. With the emergence of the internet in our age, we have experienced, really, in many ways, a revolution in how people can portray themselves to the rest of the world. Now, not only is it that you don't need any in-person interaction with someone to make yourself known, but in-person interactions are becoming fewer and fewer. 
And perhaps the most common way that we experience this is in the way most normal, average, and by that I mean not famous, right? not celebrities, uh, not famous people can broadcast their lives and experiences on various media. I was at a sporting event sometime in the last year, and when the decisive event in the game happened, I realized that over half the people around me were uh, broadcasting themselves on their phones to some kind of a, a social medium. It's really changed our lives. To many, this is a helpful thing, right? A good way to stay in touch with loved ones. Although, uh, we need to be careful with the way that we portray ourselves, obviously. But another trend that has emerged from all of this is even a step further. I'm not sure if you've heard of this term. It's called personal branding. Personal branding. It is an enterprise in self-interest, self-glorification, increasing your own fame. Most people know it simply as the older term, making a name for yourself, making a name for yourself. People can nowadays become famous simply because they set out to become famous. Their fame is what makes them famous. There are articles you can read about how to do this, how to make a name for yourself, how to brand yourself. You find phrases like establish a look, find your voice, show yourself, and various other things that will advance your brand, your personal brand. One of the things that strikes you as you read about all this stuff is with all of the time you spend thinking about yourself and the advancement of yourself, what time do you possibly have to think about others? What time do you possibly have to think about God? It's interesting that we understand what this means just intuitively, right? Making a name for yourself. We know what people are doing when they are doing that. The lust for power and recognition is something that is so common among human beings. We want people to recognize our names. We want people to hear our name and to be able to recall our accomplishments or what makes us important. In the book of Genesis, we even see this. There's a lust for a name. And that's what kept inciting the wrath of God on earth. That all of the men of the earth were trying to make a name for themselves. In Genesis 6, God floods the earth on account of its wickedness. And we see there in Genesis 6 that those who most incited God's anger were those who ruled the earth and who took multiple wives for themselves. Genesis calls them the men of renown, which in Hebrew is the men of the name. The men of the name. In other words, these were men who were seeking their own renown, their own fame, to make a name for themselves. Then in Genesis 11, the cry for building the Tower of Babel was that the men of the earth wanted to make a name for themselves. They wanted to ascend to heaven, to ascend to the, thro to the throne of God. So, in a sense, personal branding is an old problem, not a new one. But the internet has changed the face and the feel of it, particularly for ourselves. But all of it stands as an attempt to dethrone God and his authority. The bottom line is that it is the holy name of God which stands exalted above every other name. He is the triune Lord. He is the sole possessor of the power and glory and honor which, is, which compels human beings to worship him. 
He is God. He is holy. So the call for us, then, as we ponder this third commandment, the call upon our lives is to honor the name of the true God. To honor the name of the true God. The third commandment forbids that we misuse his name, forbids that we blaspheme him. And in order to obey that, we do not merely shy away from his name, but we use it. We use it rightly, and we honor it in three ways. We honor his name in our worship, in our words, and in our works. Our worship, our words, and our works. First, we honor the name of God in worship. If men do not know God, they will not praise him as he, as he ought. But those who meet God often cannot instantly join in joyful and free worship of God. We see this all throughout scripture. We think of the prophet Isaiah in chapter 6, who was caught up to heaven and he catches a glimpse of the holiness of God. But rather than joining in the worship, Isaiah hits the floor. He cries out in fear. He says, woe is me, for I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips, and I live amongst a people of unclean lips. And this is the problem for human beings in the face of God. How can a holy God accept worship from a sinful human race? In the previous chapter of Isaiah, the prophet foreshadows this very problem. He says in Isaiah 5, 15, Man is humbled, and each one is brought low. The eyes of the haughty are brought low. But the Lord of hosts is exalted in justice, and the holy God shows himself holy in righteousness. So just as the men at Babel are literally brought low by the action of God, so everyone is brought low in humility when they come in contact with God truly. We cannot conceive of God fully, and so whenever a human being does it, they fall down and they are ashamed. But this does not stop the issue at hand that we are called to worship God. And even though he is holy and we are sinful, God's word compels us to do so. And God, a day is coming when all, whether they like it or not, will worship God. Isaiah 59 says this, So they all shall fear the name of the Lord from the west, and his glory from the rising of the sun. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives. Zechariah 14 says this, The Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one, and his name one. Isaiah shows us what will happen when God finally reveals to the whole earth the truth about the holiness and the power of God's name. Men will not have a choice. They will have to worship God. And yet we find that at perhaps one of the most important points in Scripture where God reveals his name, we learn something very important about his character. And what we learn about his character is that he is a merciful God. He is a forgiving God. We learn about God's name in Exodus chapter 3. And there he shows that he is a God who will deliver those who cry out to him. Exodus 3, the Lord says to Moses, I surely have seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, 
and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. This God's name is I am. In other words, God is not one who has to talk about doing things that he might do. He doesn't talk about things that he hopes to do or hopes that he one day will accomplish. God is a God who does all that he purposes to do from all eternity. God is a God whose purposes cannot be thwarted. He exists as the one who does all that he has promised. Not only has he made a name for himself as creator, he has made a name for himself as redeemer. Within his relationship to, people, to his people Israel, his mercy was always evident. For although they would have been exactly like Isaiah in his presence, falling down and saying, woe is me, God instituted an entire system, sacrifices and offerings that allowed them to approach him in worship. The sacrificial system was to heighten the awareness of God's holiness and to heighten the awareness of their sin. But the altar in the Holy of Holies was the representation of that. It was there that the mercy of God and the justice and the holiness all came together, where God was shown to be just and merciful and loving and holy. So the priests found their purpose in being the mediators of this relationship so that Israel could fulfill what God had called them to do. Psalm 106 says this about Israel's purposes. Why did God save Israel? He says this, He saved them for His name's sake, that He might make known His mighty power. Psalm 75, We give thanks to you, O God, we give thanks, for your name is near. We recount your wondrous deeds. Israel was to recount the works that God had done for them in mercy, all that He had done in bringing them out of Egypt, all that He was doing in forgiving their sin. So God's name The point of all of that is that God's name is made known through revelation, through what he does, through how he saves his people. Moreover, though God's name should have been worshipped in the earth by Israel, his name was blasphemed through their disobedience. They did not represent who he was to the world, but the way that God would finally sanctify his holy name would be in the name of his son. In Christ, we find that it is not just the spoken word of the burning bush in Exodus 3. It is the living word, Jesus, the living word, who who comes to glorify God's name once and for all. Before Jesus was born, the angel told Mary, You will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. When we consider Jesus, the story In light of all of Scripture, we see that what he is doing is he is coming to finish once and for all the purposes of God in salvation. He is coming to show once and for all that God is a God of mercy. In other words, the ministry of Jesus is a ministry of God's name. Just as in the Old Testament he showed that he was a God who forgives. So he ultimately shows that in the sending of his son. John 17 Jesus prays this in the high priestly prayer. He says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me 
out of the, out of the world. But it was not just that Jesus came to reveal the name of the Father. For what we see is that the name of Jesus becomes exalted as the fullest and surest name of salvation. Philippians 2, Therefore God has highly exalted him and has given him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The Apostle Peter says, There is no other name other than Jesus by which men might be saved. Jesus is the one who comes to glorify his Father's name. And yet his own name is exalted in the process. You see, at the cross, God's name is forever vindicated because just as at the altar of the Old Testament where we see God's justice and love and mercy and holiness all come together. It is in the cross of Jesus Christ where we see the vindication of all of those attributes of God. In the cross, the justice of God is satisfied. In the cross, the love of God is magnified. In the cross, the mercy of God is exalted. All of those things in the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is in the shadow of of the cross, that his name, God's name, is to be revered by all those who are his own. See, worship for the new covenant church is Christ-centered. We exalt the name of God through the name of Jesus Christ. We know him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We know him as the Father and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the name of God, and his name all throughout Scripture is revered, and it's to be revered in our hearts as well. We honor the name of God not only in our worship, we honor the name of God in our works. The point of all of that was not to belabor or draw out ideas about God or to connect dots that don't normally get to be connected. It's in order to show that in the Bible there is great concern about God's name. And so we should be concerned about that name as well. God is the one who defends the honor of his name by acting according to his will. I am who I am. I am the one who does all that I please. About God, you could truly say that his word is his bond. He does all that he says. From the words that he speaks, life even springs forth. For these reasons, We are to to honor God with the way that we use his name in our speech. We ought to, to seek to use God's name with great care and great reverence. This is why it is so lamentable, right, that there are various swear words, vulgar words, language, that revolves around God. God has great care given to his name all throughout scripture, and we are to revere that name as well. But that's not the only problem we run into with the third commandment. The the, uh, NIV translation, what we normally read here, says, you shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. This idea of using the name, you shall not misuse the name, that captures uh, the idea quite well. God's name cannot be forced to do anything outside of his will. So the catechism picks up on a couple different things. We are not to misuse God's name. This is fairly obvious to us, but we are not to misuse God's name in sorcery 
or magic. Because all of that is, it is a copy, a cheap imitation of what God's power is in the Bible. God is the one who speaks and life comes forth. But what is sorcery or magic? It is an attempt to bring the universe under your own control. To use God for your own ends. All pagan worship, particularly in the Greco-Roman world and before, was an embodiment of that. Gods were uh, called upon in order that so people could have a sense of control over their lives. Control over the universe. So we are not to misuse God's name in that way. We are not to misuse God's name in false prophecy. All throughout the Old Testament, there were false prophets, those who were saying, thus saith the Lord, but then saying something that God had not really said. This is a problem not only for Old Testament Israel, this is a huge problem for the church today. There are all kinds of people saying, thus saith the Lord, God says this, but then giving a message that God has not said on any number of issues. Thus, our faithfulness to the third commandment is seen in by how faithful we are to Scripture. Do we truly regard it as our only authority in faith and in life? The Reformed tradition says that God alone is Lord of the conscience, and He rules the conscience through His Word, and that is why His Word is to be exalted in public worship. That is why we need to remain faithful to God's Word at all costs. We are not to misuse God's name, not only in false prophecy, but also in false oaths. There is this sense of we are to imitate, to mirror the sense in which God is the one who does all that he says. His word is his bond. So it is to be with us as well. For all these reasons, we are to be people who are characterized by speaking God's name with reverence. For all that he has done and all that he continues to do. For who he is and how he commands us to approach him. We are to honor God with our words. And then finally, we are to honor God's name in our works. It is only, not only that we have to honor God's name by being careful not to use it disrespectfully, there is a sense in which God's name is honored in the way that we live our lives. The New Testament is very concerned with this because the church is the community of the baptized. We are the ones who go out into the world and bear the name of God and people are paying attention to how we're living. Titus 2, 7 and 8 says this, Show yourself in all respects to be a model of good works and in your teaching show integrity, dignity, and sound speech that cannot be condemned so that an opponent may be put to shame, having nothing evil to say about us. This is what it means to adorn the gospel. The way that a Christian conducts himself or herself in the world, that is the call upon us as Christians who bear the name of God, those who are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Paul encouraged the Thessalonians in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 by saying this, You became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, 
but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. The life of the Thessalonians was adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the same call is upon us as well. So in Colossians 3, that is why we read, Put on then, as God's chosen ones, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so then you all also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And whatever you do, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father. See, we honor God through virtue. We honor God through virtue, one of the ways in which we honor God in our works, through our virtue. Paul mentions compassion and kindness, humility, meekness and patience, forgiveness and love. Virtues are what orient us to correct action. A virtuous person will respond in a certain way. They will respond with kindness and humility and meekness and patience because they have been oriented to those actions because of their heart being formed in a certain way. And virtues are formed in us as God is sanctifying us through the habitual training of God's word being shaped and formed by it in public worship and in private reading and prayer time. That is how our virtues are formed in us, the Holy Spirit attending to God's word. Not only do we honor God through our virtue, we honor God through teaching. Colossians chapter 3 calls us to teach one another in all wisdom, doesn't it? We are to grow in what we know about God. This is how we adorn the gospel. This is how we honor the name of God. We learn more and more about who he is. We give ourselves to the education in the church. Theologians historically called the church the school of Christ. This is where he teaches us. He teaches us about himself. We are to grow in what we know about God, even if just in little bits and slowly. We are to honor the name of God through admonishing, teaching and admonishing. So in other words, we are to warn one another. When we see patterns of sin creep up in each other's lives, we are to keep each other from sin. And that's a good thing to remember because it shows that it's not just all about, oh, forgiveness and whatever anyone does is forgiven and we don't need to worry about what sins we commit because we just all always forgive each other. No, Paul is saying we work together so that our lives might adorn the gospel of Christ. We work together to fight against sin. The teaching and admonishing happens through singing. This is why we sing about doctrine. This is why we sing the Psalms so that God's word might be hidden in our hearts. So we honor the name of God by teaching and admonishing and singing. And finally, we honor the name by doing everything in the name of Jesus. We are to live just like we pray in the Lord's Prayer, hallowed be thy name. Is our life a testament to the hallowing of God's name, to the hallowing of the name 
of Jesus Christ. See, far from personal branding, we are to live not for our own sake, but for the sake of Jesus Christ. This does not mean that we should want to increase our fame or be a TV personality for Jesus, but rather as we adorn our probably normal lives in faithfulness, we know that one day God will be honored even through the lives of normal and faithful Christians, especially through the lives of faithful Christians, as our lives become a testament to his grace and even to his sanctifying power. It is the highest calling imaginable that we can live an ordinary life, but that each day we are given specific marching orders from the King of Kings. Our lives are given purpose not because of what we do, but because it is for the glory of God and the name of Jesus Christ. Our lives have meaning not because of what we do, but for whom we do them. For we do them for the honor and the glory of God, the exaltation of the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, these are words that can push and pull us, make us feel at times inadequate. So help us to rest on your grace and your mercy as we seek to obey you, as we seek to live a life of gratitude for all that you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for this Lord's Day, this blessing that it has been, gathering together in worship. Send us out into the world to be salt and light, to honor your name in our worship, in our words, and in our works. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Number 319 in our Blue Psalter hymnal, All Glory Be to Thee Most High. Stand together, sing all four verses. <laughs> 